Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. The disciples are with Jesus and they are, um, there's some, probably some frustration. They're getting a lot of flack from the religious leaders. And the disciples, almost like they're changing the subject, they say to Jesus, hey, look at these, you know, if you ever seen a rendition of the the Temple Mount with the temple and all the incredible buildings and the huge stonework. And it's just amazing. Some of these stones were uh, 15 feet long and just amazing without uh, hydraulics and stuff, how ancient peoples were able to move these things around and fit them in and put mortar in there. And uh, pretty impressive. I mean, really, you have to maybe you can kind of go home and search engine the Temple Mount, ancient Temple Mount, really see an artist's rendition of how it used to look like. It was incredibly grandiose. So the disciples are pointing out the stonework of the temple. And this kind of opens the door for Jesus to say to them, I tell you that one of these stones will not be left upon another. And when you understand how amazing, how the tonnage, the hundreds of thousands of tonnage of stone that was up there, it was probably hard for the disciples to comprehend this. So sometime between this discussion in Jerusalem and they go down, or they, they kind of ascent up into the Temple Mount, and the, or sorry, the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives overlooks the Temple Mount. Now this view is breathtaking when you understand what you're looking at. This view would be if you go from Jerusalem east and you ascend into the Mount of Olives and you overlook the city of Jerusalem. So here is the city. Isn't that amazing? Look at the sky and the mountains and the ravine. Really fantastic. You know, you, Jesus, talk about getting away from it all. Jesus would take his disciples into a quiet place and he would disciple them and work with them. And it must have been an amazing thing to watch. Now today, on the Temple Mount, you can see the Dome of the Rock and some of Islam's holy sites there. But I mark my words, because my words come from the Bible, the Temple will be rebuilt. Right? And we're going to talk about that. So... The disciples asked Jesus um, or a few questions. Wow, gee, Lord, when's this going to happen? When is this temple going to be destroyed? I mean, it's, it's really hard to believe in a sense. I'm paraphrasing. And when will be the sign of your coming? And when will be the end of the age? So for those of you who know the Bible well, forgive me for a few minutes. I'm going to be re repetitive from last Sunday. But this is a hard subject to get if you're not very familiar with it. So this opens the door to the Olivet Discourse that Christians understand. Also, uh, an eschatological discussion, which is six syllables. It's a very big word. But all it means is it's a study of the end times. A lot, of, a lot of you maybe even come from churches where you've been in the church 10, 15 years and it was never taught to you. All right? So this is what we're looking at. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, if we can go to the timeline, Jesus takes the disciples really on a time machine through time. Now, it's very easy to talk to you about the past. I'm very good with history. I can tell you what happened a thousand, two thousand years ago and beyond, but it's very hard for me, really impossible, unless I'm reading the Bible, to tell you what's going to happen in the future, because God hasn't given us that ability. That's why when God gives prophecy, you know it's divine when it actually comes to pass. So Jesus takes them through time, through basically there at the, um, let's say at the time that this is going on, the, the third decade A.D., uh, he explains to them what's going to happen after his ascension. Okay, the church age, at some point the temple will be destroyed, roughly 70 AD, and then he takes them through time. He takes them through the church age, the age of grace, things start to change. Then, of course, the rapture or the harpazo as we know it, um, that's kind of skipped over because a lot of this discourse has a Jewish flavor to it. So then Jesus takes them to the, the uh, 70, 70th week of Daniel, which is the seven-year tribulation. Now, this is our future, by the way. This hasn't happened yet. After the seven-year tribulation at the end, there's going to be the uh, second coming of Christ. And then Revelation fills in the blanks after that. After the second coming of Christ, of course, there's the millennial kingdom. We're going to talk about premillennialism, amillennialism, all that kind of stuff next Sunday. 
and then, of course, all of eternity. And then Revelation fills that in nicely for us. So if you look at, if we could go back, back one slide. If you look at this, this is really human history, the, you know, notable events in the patriarchs, Adam, Abraham, etc. Okay, you see the 69 weeks of Daniel. All right, this is a 483 period from the Persians' domination of the world, sending the Jews back to rebuild the, the, you know, the walls and, and then eventually the temple. Okay, uh, it's 483 years, Daniel from God, of course. Um, I'm sorry, Gabriel from God, the angel, is sent to Daniel to tell him when the Messiah would be arriving. Okay, so you hear that's where the cross is. That's why nobody today can claim to be the Messiah because it would be outside of prophetic scripture. Then you have the seven-year, you know, you have the, um, the church age, the Holy Spirit, right? You have at some point the rapture and then the, and then the, the last seven-year period, the tribulation, which we're going to talk about today, and then everything else. What we're going to do this morning, this is the second of three sermons of this chapter, we're going to parachute. We're paratroopers now. We're going to fly over this timeline, we're going to fly through time, and we're going to jettison ourselves into this period right here, which is the seven-year tribulation, again, our future. Okay, And right in the center is this Antichrist, which a lot of people have questions about. A lot of people have speculated, who could be the Antichrist? Could he be alive today and all this kind of jazz? But... The only thing you can, the way you can understand it is understand it through the scripture. So the abomination of desolation is really where we're going to be today, and then we're going to move towards the second half of the tribulation. Now, again, if I was to say to you, or you were to ask me, where are we in the timeline? I'm going to tell you that we are right about here. We're close. Not supposed to set a date, but one day the Lord's going to pull his church home, and then... There's unfortunately going to be judgment for a rebellious world. The time is eventually going to run out, as it did in the pre-flood days of Noah, as it did in Sodom and Gomorrah, as it did in, in many other instances. He can't allow the things that are going on in the wor world to continue to go on because it's offensive to him. Okay. Now, what we did talk about, too, was, was these birth pangs, or Jesus speaking about the beginning of sorrows. All right. In the Greek, it means it's the same understanding or phrase for a woman in labor. So the birth pangs. In other words, again, the talk to you about the fetal monitor, which you're going to be experiencing very soon, okay? Uh, and the transducers that are put on the mother's abdomen that pick up the heartbeat of the, the baby in the womb, and also the uh, the contractions together at the same time. It picks up both. And what happens is these contractions. Sometimes the, the mother gets a rest. You know, she's dilating, okay, but she, she gets arrested times between contractions and then they come on stronger and more fierce. And then she gets arrest, but the rest is less a period of time each time until the contractions get more tense and the baby's delivered. Now, why does Jesus use this analogy for his return? Because as human beings, we live in a sinful world. I said this in my prayer, we're used to poverty, we're used to war, we're used to racism, we're used to hatred. It, it, we've lived under these conditions, but they're not ideal conditions, obviously. So what's going to happen is there's going to be these birth pangs, there's going to be uh, events. We talked about tectonic plates and earthquakes and tsunamis and science and all that stuff last Sunday. We talked about history. Conditions on the earth are going to get worse and worse and worse until prophetically the baby is born, which is the Lord's return. Now, just like the mother, when she's holding that baby in her arm and she's just in love with that little baby that just came out of her womb, um, she's not thinking about the contractions. It's a thing of the past. So one day the Lord will come back, right? That's why we take communion. Some of you say, oh, I'm not buying this. Well, if you went to a church where you took communion, the part of the communion uh, rite that Jesus instituted was to look forward to his return. A lot of people in churches only do half of it. Oh, we look back to the sacrifice. Yeah, but he's going to return. He said that. He's going to come in the new kingdom. And he won't drink of the fruit of the vine until then. So we look forward to that. And that's the excitement for the believer. Not to get it so attached to this world and the things of this world, but to look forward to the Lord's return. Just go over the three segments regarding the seven-year tribulation in this chapter. Verses 5 through, through 13 which I will read again just for context, which we covered last Sunday was the first half of the tribulation. That covered uh, spiritual indicators, global indicators, and personal indicators. Verses 14 through 18 is the middle 
the midweek, the middle of that seven-year period, where the Antichrist really turns in prominence. We see him uh, really elevated in prominence on the earth. Uh, that's a major turning point of the tribulation. And then verses 19 through 27 is the second half of the tribulation, just before the Lord returns and straightens everything out, thank God. But the, the Antichrist here sets himself up to be worshipped as God on this very earth. You might say, that sounds ridiculous. Well, I'm going to talk about trends in politics, in the church. We're, we're, it's, it's a shame. We live in a world where people are so willing to worship a person that's tangible instead of God, who's technically sensory intangible. Right? And even Christians, we have to train ourselves to stop looking at people all the time and leaning and relying on people, but look to God. That's what he wants, him first. <laughs> Why is this hard to teach? And then we'll jump in. Because there's so many things going on here. We're in, I, you know, we talked about Roman history, we talked about science, we talked about the Old Testament, we talked about the New Testament. Every time I change books, we're moving backward or forward 500 years, 1,000 years. You know, it's pretty impressive. Remember, we have the nice Bible that we go and buy in a store. But years ago, these scrolls were written separately. They had to be you know, codified. They had to be brought together and to made into a book. I think the Gutenberg print, printing press was right around the 1500s, and all of a sudden people started getting Bibles. Okay? So when we look at this, it, it's like a mosaic. I know a woman who's an artist who actually did a mosaic. Right? She took all these tiles, and she, she made this incredibly huge palm tree. And if you get real close to the mosaic, you see the tesserae, you see the, the little brown tiles, you see the green tiles. And it doesn't look like much until you step back. And you've got to step back really far. And then you're looking like, wow, that's gorgeous. So this is the, what the scripture is. The scripture is a beautiful mosaic with tesserae that individually you don't get the full picture. But when you step back, you say, that is so impressive. That could only be God. That's the beauty of God's handiwork. So that's hopefully what I'm going to present to you this morning starting with verse 5, Mark 13. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows, or birth pangs. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to synagogues or councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, book of Acts. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is where we jump in today, where we parachute in. But when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him who was on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his garment. But woe to those who are pregnant and those with nursing babies in those days. Remember, our future. And pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be tribulation. Such has not been seen or not been from the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days." Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is here, do not believe it. It's going to be obvious, folks. You know, people do that today, these cults. You know, these, uh, it's amazing how a man, and I see it, I mean, wouldn't believe it probably if like, I didn't see it in a video. Guys saying, I'm the Messiah. Really? Mm, I don't know about that. Not according to what the scripture says. It's undeniable in verses 24 through 27. It's going to be coming with a lot of cataclysmic events. So if, unless you can duplicate that, you're not in the running. All right? So it says that unless the Lord had shortened the days, no flesh would be saved. But he, for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says, look, here is the Christ. Look, he is here. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets 
will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Some signs and wonders. Even Moses, when he went before Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians could duplicate under the power of Satan some cheap signs and wonders, but nothing like what God could do. Okay, And even God's snake ate theirs. <laughs> so if you remember the story, it's pretty much pretty neat. But take heed. See, I have told you, I have told you all things beforehand. So there's specific things that are going to take place. And for the sake of where we are in the middle of this seven-year period, again, our future, it's a seven-year period, it's a tribulation, right? The Bible says that the believers are not destined to, for wrath. Revelation 3, we've already been taken away at this point in time. This is what's going to happen in the world. I'm going to read a few scriptures to you. Number one is Daniel 9, 25 through 27. Now we're going back in time. We're going back to 500 B.C. Right around 500 B.C. And Daniel's praying to God and saying, God, my people are sinful. You've carried us away to Babylon. Uh, we're under foreign peoples. There's no temple. There's no sacrifices. The Babylonians destroyed everything. And I'm paraphrasing. And God answers him through Gabriel the angel. And he says in verse 25... Know therefore and understand, Daniel, good news is coming, that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, 314, 445 B.C. by the Persians, by the Persian king, gave this ability for the Jews to go back and to rebuild in their city. Until Messiah the Prince, so more good news, not only are you guys going to rebuild the walls and such that were all knocked down, but the temple is going to be rebuilt and your Messiah is coming. There shall be seven weeks. Remember, a week is a Shavuot, which is a seven-year seven period. So seven weeks is really 42 years. And what happened in 42 years? They finally got off their butts, <laughs> went over to Jerusalem and started doing the work and rebuilding. And 62 weeks. So altogether, and after the 62 weeks, in other words, I know it's, it's, you just, it's just math, sorry, math in the morning, but it's just multiplications. I'm not going to do exponents and calculus. We're just going to stick with multiplication. So 62 weeks, 7 and 62 is 69. 69 times 7 is 483 years. So the Jews, an observant Jew, could actually calculate to the, pretty much the day that their Messiah would show up. That's why there was so much fanfare at the triumphal entry. But then, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. He'll be killed, but not for himself, not because of his sin. And the people of the prince who is to come, well, the Romans came, okay, and trampled the whole holy city. But they were uh, the people of the prince who is to come because the Antichrist will come from this revived uh, Eastern, well, really a European type of alliance in our future. But there was other people that prefigured the Antichrist. Uh, trust me, just, we're going to get through this and it's going to make sense. They will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This happened in 70 AD under the general Titus. You've got to know your history. When you know your history, all this stuff is like, wow, he predicted this all 500 years before it happened. Absolutely. The end of it will be with a flood until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he, okay, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is the last week. We talked about 69 weeks. There's one more week. It's the 70th week, okay? It's the last seven-year period. The Antichrist will, will make a covenant with Israel, and he's going to go back on his covenant. In the middle of the week, or in that three-and-a-half-year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So this means that the temple will be rebuilt. They will start sacrificing, right? They start to institute all that stuff again. And then eventually the Antichrist is going to blindside them and persecute them and stop all that and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate so in other words the antichrist will come and he's going to present himself to be god in this sacred area known that we saw a picture of is the temple mount when the temple's rebuilt all right uh, Daniel 11:31 through 32. I'm not going to go through a lot of it, but he also speaks about the abomination of desolation. Let's turn to, if we could, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. Now, we just fast-forwarded about 570 years to the first century A.D. The Apostle Paul writing 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. He 
The Apostle Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church, and he's talking to them about the Lord returning. So I'll give you a little background. And he has to talk about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's returning, but the Apostle Paul gives precursors to the Lord's return. And the precursor is this Antichrist. So, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, he's, the Apostle Paul says, let no one deceive you. Jesus said, let no one deceive you. Paul says, no, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. You know, Christians can be duped. You know, I see a lot of Christians that they come and they, they have these really bizarre ideas about who God is and, and you know, what the Bible is. And, and the Bible says, don't be deceived. So he says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, that day of the Lord will not come unless... The falling away comes first. The falling away from the faith. The falling away, away from God. That's where we are in this country. And the man, and Europe too, by the way. And the man of sin is, is revealed, the son of destruction or the son of perdition, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So if you're a Christian and you're not really buying this, the Apostle Paul said, temple's going to be there too. It's not there right now. <laughs> so when you start seeing the, the groundwork getting laid, um, you know that, boy, it's really close. And today, with equipment today, it wouldn't take long to build it. So um, we need to get right before then. I find this remarkable. So here's the question. What is so horrible that happens? Now remember, on the Temple Mount, there was a certain part that Abraham, if you look at the, the Temple Mount, is also Mount Moriah back in the Old Testament. Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, uh, and the Lord stopped him. Uh, and then he provided a, a sacrifice in his place. You know, things happened in this area. So what God did was, and we, when we look at the Temple Mount, right, we also look at, at, a, at a holy place where the temple was built, and the Holy of Holies, this special room was built that only the priest could enter once a year, and he had to have the blood of a sacrifice to sprinkle it before the mercy seat, because God said his presence would actually always be there. So there's a few times in history where a place where God, actually his physical presence, he, I don't know how he does it, but he's God, he's omnipresent, part of him is there, and what happens is these pagan peoples, these ungodly people, actually went in there and defiled that, and God found it disgusting, the Jewish people found it disgusting because they made a mockery of God. And you say, well, why didn't God stop them? Some of these guys died early. A lot of them are in hell right now, so you tell me. God is a long-suffering God. Even those, you know, when people do bad things, even today, mock God and they blaspheme God and they worship Satan, there's some Satan worshipers who actually turn to Christ and renounce their former lives. So why, does, why doesn't God do it? I'm not looking for him to do it because it's amazing testimonies that I see of people who had a former really bad life who came to Christ. He's a long-suffering God. A few things happened on this Temple Mount that were disgusting, but the third one is going to be the Antichrist. So let me bear with me for a minute. In 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was ruling at the time, he hated the Jews. And when uh, he was rebuffed, and you can find this in your history books, by the Romans, didn't do so good with them, started coming back through Jerusalem, he took out his rage on the Jews. And he stopped, like the Bible says, he stopped their sacrifices. He was a prefigurement or a type of the Antichrist. Somebody who came, did similar things, but wasn't actually the culmination, wasn't the end result. So what this guy does is in 168 BC, this horrible leader, he um, sacrifices a pig on the altar which pig was is an unclean beast at the time. And uh, so he spills this swine blood all over the altar in the temple. He st sets up an idol to Zeus, and he used the temple courts to, uh, to put prostitutes in there to completely offend the Jewish people. Fast forward to A.D. 70, the Roman general Titus and his four legions of Romans. They also ended up at the Temple Mount taking everything down, destroying the, you know, the place, throwing the, the, the stones over into the ravines. They're still there today, by the way. Those stones are well over 2,000 years old. It's really impressive. People have taken pictures. Uh, no doubt that Titus and his, his heathen Roman soldiers trampled the Holy of Holies, which was not for them to do. 
um, destroying the place, making a mess of it, looking for the gold that started melting down because of the fire into the crevices of the stones. Let's fast forward again into our future. It's the Antichrist who's going to actually be there in this restored temple, and he's going to be the last Antichrist. Now, 1 John 2 tells us that this, uh, the disciple John says that Antichrist has come. Many Antichrists have come, but the Antichrist is coming. So there, was, there were men who, again, prefigured this embodiment of the satanic being. Okay? So it's almost like there's layers to this. Now, the abomination, the word in Hebrew is shakuts, which means a filthy, disgusting idol. And the Antichrist is going to set himself up. If this was the Holy of Holies, he's going to break through there. He's going to set himself up. I'm going to read to you in Revelation about this image that he sets up. And he's going to, there's going to be TV cameras in there because the world's going to see. He's going to dupe the world into worshiping him, even though he's a man, but he is inspired by Satan, literally sold his soul to the devil. And it's going to be a complete defilement. It's going to be this complete abomination that causes desolation. You might ask, well, it almost sounds like the other guys before did worse. Here's the issue. It's in scope and effect. Okay? Antiochus Epiphanes and Titus, they affected a few people. A few soldiers told some stories when they got back. Maybe a hundred so people knew about it. A thousand. The Antichrist is going to have the whole world see this. So there's a, there's a, a large scope. Now here's the effect. Antiochus Epiphanes and Titus worshipped imaginary gods, you know. Zeus, Apollo, Aphrodite, their pantheon of polytheistic gods that didn't exist. The Antichrist is going to worship Satan. He actually does exist and always has wanted to usurp God in this attention and this worship. I'll just read to you really quick. Again, it's not important that you get every single verse, but this was recorded in Isaiah 14, 12 about Satan, who also was known as Lucifer. And it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut to the ground, you who weaken the nations. You who have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest parts of the pit. Where we are now in verse 14 is a turning point in this seven-year period. Now, just for those that, because, you know, different people listen to this, and I'm just going to play, I'm going to have a little fun. I love when, you know, I just, I love engaging naysayers. I love engaging people who, I, don't, I try to be, I really want to win them to Christ. I really do try to be nice. But I love the people who call us flat earthers and stuff like that. You see... Digital trends. I'm kind of interested in tech stuff. It says, who needs Bluetooth headsets, Motorola patents, neck tattoo, smartphone accessory? Here's a picture of a woman, and on the back of her neck is what we would understand as laser skin. It's a barcode, okay? There's a device now. <laughs> Years ago, people said, what's this mark of the beast? How could you not buy or sell unless you have a mark? It's not a tattoo. It's more than a tattoo. You know, it's funny, um, I think I taught this 10 years ago, and I, the, the new technology were those little uh, seed of rice, grain of rice transceivers that were subderminally implanted, and you can put your hand over a barcode, you could walk into your office and not touch a light switch because it would pick up the, the signal and the lights would turn on and say, hello, Joseph, how are you today? You know, in this automated voice, the computer would turn on for you. This stuff really has happened. So we are living in the age in technology where... People used to mock us 50 years ago, 70 years ago, even today. This thing is that they actually have this tattoo and it has a, a device that's implanted in the skin. It's a transceiver. You don't need Bluetooth anymore. You don't need to hold a phone anymore. The signals come into your body. You receive signals and you send out signals. You can text maybe by blinking your eyes or by thinking a thought. This is where we're going with technology. We are falling right into our culture, the hands of one person to control the world. You don't have the device? Oh, I'm sorry, we can't sell you food. Cashless society. It's going to be great to get rid of underground crime, 
but it's going to, this is where we're going. We can't stop it. That's why Christians, our eggs and our, our, who we are, our being has to be put into the Lord, not the things of the world, because this is where the world is going. I just was reading a lot of this, and it's, uh, <laughs> you can connect to your smartphone, your gaming device, a, ta- a tablet computer. You can play video games with yourself, <laughs> you know. You don't have to carry anything. Um, so this is, you know, c- congratulations to you. You've become a GPS for the government. Let's talk more about technology. I, I like technology. Revelation 11 speaks about the two witnesses that God would send to Jerusalem. But the whole world would see it at one time. I love it. 80 years ago, oh, you Christians, you're such flat earthers. Don't you know that the world is round? There's no way anybody can see an event in one place at the same time. Oh, until Sputnik. Anybody know what Sputnik is? The satellite that the Russians set up? Was it in the 1960s? Thank you. I appreciate that. 1957, the Russians sent up Sputnik. And this was the precursor to all satellites that are able to GPS, that are able to use, uh, you could take a picture or a video, you know, news crew can take a shot at Jerusalem. Everybody in the world can see it because of satellite technology. And that is only uh, 50 uh, years or so set, uh, technology. So it's kind of funny because people make fun of the Bible. And every 10 years, more stuff comes forward to prove that the Bible is right. So when we talk about science, the science catches up with the Bible. When we talk about prophecy, all the prophecies are done as far as the Lord coming back. We talk about um, the degradation of society. It's not going backwards, it's just going forwards and continued degradation. So this is what we have here in in this world that we live in. The irony is this, Jesus said in John 5.42... In John 5.42, when speaking to the religious leaders, he said to them, I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. He was rejected by the leadership. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. When the Antichrist come, he will, he will come in his own name not going to come in the name of God, but he'll be one to be worshipped as God. You know, I, I looked at quotes also from the, the, some of the Jewish leaders over the years, and they've said, the Messiah, and this is today, right? The Messiah doesn't even have to be Jewish. All he has to do is bring peace. So they're even lowering their standards. The, the Messiah has to be Jewish, and he had to be from the, 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 the tribe of Judah, right? But they're, they're lowering their standards just because they can't take the wars and the fightings anymore. And I love this too, in, uh, in, in Mark's Gospel, there's a parenthesis, a parenthetical statement in verse 14. It says, let the reader understand. The Bible, when the Christians are gone, becomes a survival guide. So anybody here, hey, who's not buying it, no problem. If you want to navigate the seven years of, of hell on earth, um, just pick up a Bible. It'll tell you what to do. Let the reader understand. God is so merciful. You know, people, Christians today even, even have rapture kits that they've set up for loved ones and such when, when the Lord calls us home. So, um, hey, it's, it's just merciful. What do you think the Antichrist is going to look like? Scary, creepy, you know, something you know, that you just really get a chill from this guy? If that's what you feel, I disagree with you. I think he's going to be handsome, suave, charismatic, and have a lot of charm. See, today we, in, in Western culture, even in, I, I follow overseas, British, um, you know, European news, when they pick their political candidates, today the election was, who's the youngest, who's the rock star, you know? Um, years ago, and let's take the politics out of it, the Democrats put forth Barack Obama. Wasn't completely vetted, but he had the charisma, he had the talk, he spoke like a populist. Republicans did it in the last one. Who can we get? I think one uh, newest, youngest person was, I think, 30 in the 30s. That's really young for a, a representative. But that was something that the, everybody was excited about. Rock star politicians. And our rock star politicians say a lot of stuff and then they can't produce. They're in office long enough, they can't do it. However, the Antichrist will produce. The only thing that will tip anybody off is discernment because you're not going to be able to find a flaw in this man. He will be flawless. Today, politicians, 
Some say, well, is so-and-so the Antichrist? No, he's not bright enough. Seriously, the Antichrist is going to be a genius. What about, what about the church? Appearance-driven ministries. We see a lot of those too, don't we? I'm aware of a trend now in, in church, and there's always trends. Every five, ten years, Christianity goes through trends where a pastor comes and sets up shop and wants all 20-somethings in his church. Filled with 20-somethings. Here's the weird thing. People who are 50s and 60-somethings actually go to the church not to give wisdom to them, but to see what's going on. So it's the, it's the, it's the tail wagging the dog. You know, in a, in a normal functional church, what's supposed to happen is the older, in the, in the women's ministry it was discussed, uh, the women's devotion on Saturday, is that the older to teach the younger and download their wisdom into them. Don't die, don't leave this earth and not tell anybody about your wisdom and your experience. However, there's weird trends in Christianity because it looks good. It looks cool. Cool is temporary. I, I have, I, I'm not surprised about any of this stuff. I'm not surprised that one man's going to wield so much power. I'm not, I'm not at all German in ethnicity, but to me, the Germans were one of the smartest people on the earth. I've got to say it. And in the 1940s and 30s, their scientists, a lot of the stuff you see today, technology comes from Germany. These people were geniuses. As a matter of fact, after World War II, the Russians in the United States stole their technology and were able to send a man on the moon. But the smartest people on earth fell into this ridiculous idea of elevating Hitler as a messiah figure. The guy was incompetent. Right? Not only did he destroy part of the world, but he also destroyed Germany. And they got invaded after his sixth army was decimated in the Battle of Stalingrad. We've got to know our history, folks. And if they're not teaching to our kids in school, we need to be teaching our kids history. Because history has a nasty way of repeating itself, especially to people who don't know their history. You want to know my conjecture about what the Antichrist is going to do to get all this stuff accomplished? I think what the Antichrist is going to do is he's going to... By the way, Adolf Hitler did this too. He went to a lot of the um, Islamist regimes and said, I have a final solution. I'm going to get rid of the Jews. Uh, Iran and Iraq, I need your oil. Re read. It's all in there. It's all, all stuff is declassified. The Antichrist, I believe, will go to these Islamist states that want to destroy Israel and say, cool your jets. Be smart about this. Let them build their temple. Let them build their wall. Let them take them completely off guard. And when I give the signal, we attack and we destroy them. Because they just want peace. Stop the bombing. Stop blowing up buses. Cut. That stuff is all child's play. That's what I think he's going to do. And I'm sure he's got a plan a lot smarter than mine. You know, when you know the Bible and you know what good is, you also know what evil is and how evil operates. You can, you can pick it up. Verse 15. He says, and let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his garment. What it would it take, a few seconds to do that? He's saying, don't do this. This is how bad it's going to be. But woe to those who are pregnant and those uh, with nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter. There's going to be an event that the whole world is going to see on TV. And it's going to be this guy exalting himself. Oh, one thing I didn't talk about is holography. I knew that was in there somewhere. Holographs last 40 years. You know, you can set up a machine and poof. You, you think that there's um, a big dragon that's going to come get you guys down here. And it looks real. 3D, the whole deal. Perfect color. They started off real cheesy. They made toys out of him and stuff. But now holography is amazing. So deceptive, you can't, with your eye, you can't tell the difference. The Antichrist is going to set up this image of himself. Not only he's going to be, want to be worshipped, but I believe that holography, again, people say, well, what image? How could people be so dumb to, to follow some image? Okay, 40 years later, holography has been perfected. I like following trends. It's, it's, you know, I love how the trends keep up, have to keep up with the scripture. The scripture is on the cutting edge. So this is going to happen. Um, I want to read Luke 21 again, a few verses. Luke 21, 20 through 24. This is Luke 21, Matthew 24, and Mark uh, 13 are all, there's, there's similarities there. They're almost like they're parallels. 
This is under the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus says this again before it happens. Verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, now this happened with the four legions under, under General Titus, you know its desolation is near. You start seeing those guys muster up, you hear the, the marching of the, you know, the boots and the sandals or whatever the heck they had back then, the cleats. There's a problem. Get the heck out of that city. Let those in Judea flee to the mountaintops for safety. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country even enter her. Don't even come in if, when, when this stuff gets word. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But again, woe to those who are pregnant and those who are, who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This was a, it was a precursor, it was a warning to those in A.D. 70 when you started seeing the four legions and the stanchions and the Romans and the eagles and all the stuff, they started, get the heck out of there. And a lot of people, their lives were saved because of it, because at one point the Romans completely surrounded the city and wouldn't let anybody out without killing them or making slaves out of them. So this warning was an incredible warning some 40 years later. Yes, 40 years later. This is also uh, going to happen in the future. How many of you are familiar with the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact? <laughs> World War II. Hitler and Stalin made an agreement. They were going to carve up Poland. One came from the west, one came from the east. They met in the middle. So Molotov, Molotov cocktails... The Russian, Ribbentrop, the German, got together, they made a pact. If Hitler didn't break that pact, I think the world would have seen a lot more carnage. I don't think the Allies would have been able to stand up to German technology and Russian resources and human capital. You can disagree with me, but it got pretty precarious there a few times. Remember the Germans set up jets, the Messerschmitt 252s that our American planes couldn't even catch. They, would, they actually literally flew circles around them. We stole their technology. So did the Russians. Anyway, I think it was divine intervention that that pact was destroyed and Hitler actually took the Sixth Army and marched into Russia. I think God did a lot of things over time. Say, well, where was God? Well, where was God? Things could have been a lot worse. So I believe that... Why am I saying that? <laughs> I believe that, that the Lord does things to to confound the ideas of men who can rule absolutely. All right? So this is what I think that he's also going to do the same thing again. He's going to confound, he's going to shorten those days. In the last three and a half years, and, and we can cover this in Revelation, catac major cataclysmic events at the hands of God. And you might say, but I thought it was the Antichrist. It, it's actually, it's at one point, it's both. It's this... You know, God has to judge the, those who worship Satan for as long as they did. He has to judge the earth. That's why we're not going to be here, because we're not determined for wrath. And I'm going to cover that next Sunday. Um, the Antichrist is also going to cause a lot of hardships in the world. So it's going to be a really horrible place to be. See, Satan will promise us paradise. He does it all the time. And then he turns on us to destroy us. God offers us true paradise, but if we trust and worship anything but him, there will be consequences. You know, and this is really, I think, a good lesson for believers who, are, who are tend to, to go into the world and, and be enamored by the world. If you're married and you spend a few nights with somebody else and your spouse founds out, finds out, there's going to be consequences. However, I don't know why, but some come to God with the attitude of an abusive spouse. You know, people do this all the time. They neglect God and they give him their very little, and he's going to like it because that's all that they can offer him, and they still want God to bless him. If you did that with a relationship, you would be considered an abusive spouse, whether you're a male or a female. This type of preaching, we're not going to grow real fast, so look around you. We're not going to get real big because people don't like to hear this stuff. They want to hear something sweet on a Sunday morning. But this is, this is the reality. The reality is that Christians... Whatever we're doing, whatever we're involved in, we have to get serious. The world is just going to get worse. And I'm not sitting here as a doom and gloom. I'm, I'm filled with joy because it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to minister to people. Verse 19. Verse 19. That's going to be in Mark 13, verse 19. 
For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been from the beginning of creation which God created until this time there ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened those days. The magnitude of this tribulation is going to be breathtaking. When we start reading in Revelation about how many in, in, in the earthquakes and the different cataclysmic events lose their lives, it's going to be horrible. In the wars, in the persecutions, that's why I brought up the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact because, like I said, I believe that God intervened in that situation. Otherwise, we might still be fighting World War II or there'd be nobody left. How did God shorten those days? Well, you can say that it's the last three and a half years. Those are short. However, another postulation is we have a calendar. I believe it's 364 and a quarter days, accounting for leap year, right, in, in a year. So it's the time it takes the earth to make a complete revolution around the sun. Right? That's our year. However, the Babylonians had a 360-day calendar, and there are evidences on Earth of huge meteorite strikes and things of that nature. Now, scientists play, talk about the Earth actually going um, on an axis of 23 degrees and then flipping to the other axis. There's a lot of weird things that happen in the cosmos. So it's not uncommon that on the 368-day Babylonian calendar, which worked, that the Earth actually... Uh, uh, revolved quicker around the sun, right? And now it's going slower for some reason. Follow me. When the earth rotates about its 23 degree axis, axis from one point to make a full revolution, that's a day, 24 hour day. It's quite possible with the cataclysmic events that we read in Revelation, again, it's happened to our earth. You can go out in the desert and Russia and different places and find these huge craters, meteorite uh, hits and all that that if the earth gets hit at a certain glance, and Revelation tells us this happens, that it actually, if it hits it right at the right angle, the earth can spin a little bit faster and shorten the day. Right? So maybe a 24-hour day turns into a 20-hour day. Just enough to, right, just enough to give everybody a break. You know, <laughs> this day is over. Look, look, let's see what happens tomorrow. Just saying. Don't know how he's going to do it. Could be just the three and a half years, but it's fun to play with this kind of stuff. Verse 20. He says, for the elect's sake, who is the elect? Now, this is funny when you actually get into discussions with Calvinists about the elect. The word elect, eklektos, is contextual like the word believer. Who's a believer in the Old Testament? The Jews. The Jews. Not the pagans, the Jews. Right? Believer in the New Testament? Believer in Christ. Who are the elect? The elect in the Old Testament would be the Jews. Or anybody who came into Judaism. The elect during the tribulation is anybody who comes to Christ during that period. We, t we hear about the tribulation saints. Last few verses. Verse 21. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, look, he is here, do not believe. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. The Lord warns Christians throughout the ages. Number one, prior to his second coming, he warned the disciples in the first century. And brothers and sisters, he's got warnings for us today as well. It still holds true. Don't believe everything you see. Especially don't believe somebody who's not giving glory to God. And I want to make this personal. Some people want to be deceived because it fits with their lifestyles. But really, we should be seeking the truth. Otherwise, we're just, we're not worshiping God anymore. We're worshiping idols. I mean, I know some that actually go after, oh, there's a, there's a in some country, there's a, a statue or a, a statue that, that bleeds out of its hands. We have to go see that. There's a, a painting where the person's eyes, they're, they're weeping. Signs and wonders are not just to go to see stuff. Signs and wonders are for a reason, Right? God doesn't do signs and wonders unless there's a purpose to those signs and wonders. And there will be false Christs. You know that if you look under, I guess, the DSM, the Psychology Psychiatrist Manual, it talks about different uh, psychiatric disorders. One of them is called a delusion of grandeur. You realize one of the most common delusion of grandeurs is those that think they're Jesus Christ? As a road cop for 23 years, you know how many Jesus Christ I ran into? You know what the first thing I do when I run into one is? I call for backup. 
because they're just not, you never know what you're going to get when somebody thinks that they're Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I'm like, no, white horse, not gray Toyota. No, I don't, you're not Jesus. Let's leave it with this, the unavoidable future. (laughs) For those who are left on earth, it's the unavoidable future, but we don't have to be here. Right? The Bible says that the Lord is going to come for His church, for His bride. He's going to take us home, the marriage supper of the Lamb, all these things. So again, and I, I talked about this once before, the human timeline, instead of going straight now, actually bifurcates. It splits and it goes up. The rapture happens. We're up here in heaven with the Lord. The earth is going through that seven-year period. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The, 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 the scripture is very clear. We did this when we covered our Revelation study. I'm taking the first bus, by the way. I'm not going to be here for this. If you're a believer, Revelation 3 says, the Bible has not appointed you for wrath. To the unbeliever and the rebellious world, judgment will finally come, just like it's come to civilizations in the past. And you don't have to go down this road. If it's something you're scared about, ask questions. Because if you're really a believer, there's nothing to be scared of. You know, Let's, let's make this palatable. Let's make this understanding for you. If you're not a Christian and it's not where you want to be, you don't have to be there. However, I would just say this to you. Don't gamble with time. We do it all the time. I I procrastinate too. I put stuff off. Actually, I did put off salvation. So glad the rapture didn't come before I actually became a believer. You know, but that wasn't smart. I gambled with time. I, I won that one, right? But I've lost other things. If you're a Christian and you're not where you're supposed to be, let me say this again. Don't gamble with time. So even if you're a Christian, don't gamble with time. Be that wise steward that when the Lord comes back, finds you doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. Quit fooling around with the things of this world. It's really not worth it. It's not going to get better. And even if it did, God still is is worthy to be worshipped instead of worshipping our short time on this planet. Last verse. Jesus says, But take heed. Pay attention. Be warned. See, I have told you all things beforehand. You know how many times that's written in the Scripture by the different Bible writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I think it's because something about us as human beings, we can be very stubborn. And God is just very lovingly. He just keeps giving us warnings. Take heed. God's warnings are loving. And quite frankly, we're the fools if we don't heed His warnings. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.